Rivers point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. To get $10 off your first order, use the promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. Today's episode is also continuing our week-long theme of what-ifs, revisiting the greatest what-ifs in Blazers history and doing our best to piece them together to figure out what might have been. Earlier this week, we revisited the what-if Arvita Sabonis came over in the 1980s, supposing a hypothetical where Arvita Sabonis came over in his prime in 1989 and helped the Blazers become a dynastic force in the late 80s and early 90s. Today, we're turning back the clock even further. Follow me, if you will, to 1976 as we answer this what if. What if the Blazers kept Moses Malone? That's right. In the summer of 1976, the ABA dispersal draft gave the Blazers Moses Malone a the, the first true prep-to-pro star in the league who had bypassed college to join the ABA. But when the ABA broke up, uh, players from the American Basketball Association were being sent around the league in the dispersal draft. The Blazers had traded up to the second pick to draft Maurice Lucas, the best power forward in the ABA. But they also owned the fifth overall pick, and they used that to select Moses Malone, who played for the St. Louis Spirits at the time. So Malone who wasn't quite the force you maybe remember him at the time. He reportedly gained like 20 pounds in the offseason in 1979. But So three years earlier, he's a little bit skinnier, but he's still a rebounding force. He's the one of the best rebounders in the ABA. Uh, he had been at All-Star in his first season in the ABA in straight out of high school, playing for the Utah Stars in the 1974-75 season. But in the summer of 1976, Moses is in Portland, in training camp with your Portland Trailblazers. And now, the Blazers already are having concerns about Moses. In fact, Harry Glickman, the owner, wrote in his autobiography that was published in 1978 that the team never intended to keep Malone. So the interesting part about this what-if is that Malone's Tenure with the Blazers was doomed before it started. They 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 acquired him with the intention of trading him. Uh, that's what Harry Glickman says. And in a autobiography that ja- Blazers coach Jack Ramsey wrote in 1978, he kind of pushes back against the idea. Glickman says that Ramsey was on board and that the team kind of knew and that Malone, who was making over $200,000 a year or over $300,000 a year, his, his salary was just too much for the... Uh, 70, 1976 Blazers to handle, so they were always going to get rid of him. But uh, Ramsey says that the that while the front office told him that that he was broken up about it, he really, really didn't want that to happen. And by the end of training camp, he had he and the team had decided that they that they really desperately wanted to keep him. However, behind the scenes, the Blazers were already working to trade Moses Malone. Harry Glickman had reportedly called Red Auerbach of the Boston Celtics and offered Moses Malone and Sidney Wicks for all-star JoJo White. Auerbach told him to buzz off. That trade never happened. But Glickman kept working. He finally got a deal agreed to with the Buffalo Braves. This Buffalo Braves, who would later become the Clippers. Uh, it's, a, it's a long road there. But he, he agrees to a deal with Buffalo. They were going to give the Blazers a first-round pick 
and cash to take Malone. And basically the cash was going to cover what the Blazers owed Moses Malone. This was a financial deal. Does this sound familiar? Like the modern NBA a little bit? So they had agreed to that deal, but the, but it hadn't gone through. So there's this great passage in Breaks of the Game, uh, the book by David Halberstam, that if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I believe is the greatest sports book ever written. So Halberstam's account in this in Breaks of the Game is basically that the team holds a meeting at the end of training camp, and they voted unanimously to keep Moses Malone um, and... All the players said, let's, we love him. This guy's a, you know, he can really play. Let's keep him. And then Harry Glickman comes into the room and's like, too late, y'all. That Buffalo agreed to the deal and that they traded him for a first round pick. And famously in Breaks of the Game, Walton says, you didn't trade him away. You gave him away. Malone didn't really last in Buffalo. And I think this is an important part of the what if. He and his agents basically started complaining about playing time, like that that the the Braves weren't going to give him enough playing time. He wanted at least 25, 20, 24 plus minutes a night. And that in the two total games he played with Buffalo, he was not seeing that type of action. Uh, he was still young at this time, but he had been a he had been a, a very good ABA player, not a, a super superstar like uh, you know Dr. J and others that came over in the dispersal draft, but he was a very very good player and on his way to being a very good player. So Buffalo flipped him almost almost immediately, just two games into that season, traded him to Houston for two first round picks. An incredible what if is what if the Blazers just trade him for two first round picks to Houston? Come on. I guess they wanted the cash. The cash from Buffalo made it work. But that was it. The Moses Malone tenure lasted one training camp and zero games. The Blazers, of course, would go on to win the championship that season. Maurice Lucas was a star. Bill Walton was one of the best players in the NBA. They outplayed Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals. They beat an absolutely loaded Philadelphia 76ers team in the championship round. We got the parade down Broadway. Blazers came back in 1978 and were the best team in the NBA and Bill Walton won MVP. But what this what if supposes is that they do all this with Moses Malone on the roster. By the end of the 1978 season, the Blazers, this era of the Blazers were falling apart. Walton was beginning a stretch of basically four or five seasons when he Barely could play due to health issues. By the summer of 1979, he was in a lawsuit with the Blazers, suing them for malpractice. What this what-if supposes is that Moses Malone was there. Could Malone have saved the relationship with Walton and the Blazers? Could Malone have eased Walton's burden a little bit? And could this team have thrived with three front court stars who all wanted to play big minutes and be a big part of the plan. That's what we'll answer in the second segment. What if Malone was here? What would it look like? Who would be here and who wouldn't be here? But before we get there, I want to tell y'all more about Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. That's it. That's the trick. It tastes really good. Listen, you might have tried other protein bars in the past and they want to pass as healthy and they've got all these good things for you. But they aren't delicious. Built Bar skirts the, this is healthy, maybe you can stomach it by just making it taste really good. Built Bars are soft and chewy like a candy bar. They come in 16 amazing flavors. They're all covered in 100% chocolate. And they're a wonderful 
option for the health conscious among us. Trying to maintain your weight and not stack up on unnecessary calories with unhealthy snacks? Grab a Bill Bar. It'll tide you over. It's low calorie, low sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. There's no trick here with Bill Bar. They just taste good and they deliver what you need. So get yourself some. Here's how you do it. You go to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. That's promo code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. All right. So we're still talking Moses Malone. What if the Blazers had kept him in 1976 and moved forward with the front line of Bill Walton, Maurice Lucas, and the chairman of the boards, Moses Malone. I gave you a background on how Malone could have been a Blazer, but let's real quick revisit what Moses Malone became. As a rookie during that 76-77 season, Malone averaged 13-13. and 13. He was just a really dependable double-double guy. He's 6'10", 215, well, listed at 215, might have been a little bigger than that uh, by the end of his career, so by the 80s, certainly, but he he was the one of the best rebounders in the ABA, and it immediately translated to the pros. He was just a monster on the glass. So... 76-77, he's a solid rookie, but by 1978-79, this is the year that Bill Walton sat out because of his beef with the Blazers, Moses Malone was the MVP of the league. And prior to winning MVP in the 77-78 season, that's the year that the Blazers, after they win the championship, they start 50-10, and 10, and Walton uh, breaks a bone in his foot and kind of just ends his Blazer tenure briefly. We'll revisit that here in a second. But Malone averaged a cool 24.8 points and 17.6 rebounds. This was the first of his six rebound titles in the league. He was the led the NBA in rebounding six times, and he played forever. He came out of high school and joined the Utah Stars in 1975. He retired in 1995, his final season with the San Antonio Spurs. Dude just played forever, was a workhorse for a long time. Uh, After winning the MVP in 1979, he won back-to-back MVPs in 1981 and 1982. That's three out of four seasons for those of you scoring at home. And Malone made 12 consecutive All-Star games from 1978 to 1989. So what we're answering here in the second segment uh, is sort of who would be here, who, would, who wouldn't. And what we're really answering is, would Walton have stayed? Walton got hurt late in the 77-78 season, broke his foot uh, 60 games into the year. He returned for the, for the first round of the playoffs when the Blazers were facing the Seattle Supersonics. And he played in the first game. And gave it a go in game two, but played just 15 minutes only to have an x-ray later reveal that was taken after the game, that he had a broken navicular bone in his left ankle. He demanded a trade that summer, filed a lawsuit, and sat out the entire following season before signing with the San Diego Clippers. So what we are positing here, what this hypothetical is asking is, could Moses Malone have saved Walton from himself and saved Walton from the Blazers. I don't think Moses Malone, his arrival alone, 
fixes Walton's health issues. I don't think it was a minutes thing. This was his body breaking down. He was going to, if, if his, if he reduces from about 36 minutes a night, which he was playing in the championship season in 77, say he reduces down to 28. Does, sure, the mileage over the long run might be reduced, but I don't think these acute singular ankle injuries and, and, and foot problems that have uh, befalled plenty of seven-footers in, in the history of this NBA are totally reduced. But what they may reduce is Walton's headstrong insistence on returning for those 1978 playoffs. If you have Moses Malone, who's probably not the MVP of the league if he's still a Blazers backup, but he's the best backup center in the league still. He certainly would be among the great rebounders of his time if he was there in 1978. So maybe you don't get Walton rushing back for the playoffs because the Blazers are really good without him. The positive vibes that happened in 77 when they loved this team, Walton was always a little bit aloof, but but maybe the seeing that they could repeat in 78 allows Walton to take his time. And why I say repeat in 78 is because the NBA really changes in the 80s when the arrival of Magic Johnson and Larry Bird kind of shifts the power to the Lakers and the Celtics. Um, certainly Moses Malone and the 83 uh, Philadelphia 76ers have a claim to that shift of power as well. But the seasons immediately following the Blazers championship in 1977, there was a void of talent in the league. I don't think other teams had just caught up. If you add Moses Malone to these teams, the Blazers have a very good chance of being in three consecutive finals and maybe winning three consecutive finals. They were the best team in the NBA in 1978 without Moses Malone. Perhaps they're a championship-level team for two more seasons at least. At least. Malone probably isn't an MVP, and I think that is going to be the big issue. Malone you know, wanted to play and wanted to play big minutes. That's why he got out of Buffalo right away. He played in Houston for a few seasons and was very good, but eventually signed a very large long-term deal with the Philadelphia 76ers. He was actually a restricted free agent. Technically, he signed it with the Rockets and then they traded him to Philly. But regardless of those semantics, this was a dude who knew he was good. He knew he was the best rebounder in the league. He had come out of high school to go ahead and make his money and get his minutes. He had uh, two, they're called lawyers in the newspapers I read uh, leading up to, newspaper stories I read leading up to this podcast, but they're his agents, essentially. These are his agents. And they were kind of working him behind the scenes to get him, you know, millions of dollars in the 70s and 80s, making him one of the highest paid players in the NBA. This, Moses Malone was not short on ego. He wasn't short on talent either. It was a reason why he had perhaps an ego that matched it. So I think the Blazers' window with Moses Malone is relatively brief. This what-if would have to assume that Walton's injury happened the same way, that he was gone in 78, at the end of the 78 season, and and kind of never came back, and cleared the, cleared the way for Malone to take over. And I think if that happens that way, the Blazers are very, very good for the late 70s and into the early 80s. They have, you know, the best rebounder in the league playing next to the best rebounder in the league. Maurice Lucas and Moses Malone is quite a pairing up front. One of the reasons that I read that the Blazers were a little bit worried about getting Malone is because they felt he duplicated too much of what Maurice Lucas brought to the, brought to the team. But... Really what they mean was, we already had Walton, Lucas was a perfect pair, we didn't need a third perfect pair up front. 
But if this what-if supposes that it happens the same with Walton's injuries and that he is out of the picture starting in the 1978-79 season, I think the Blazers have a window to be very good for the next three or four years. By the early 80s, perhaps Malone's contract demands leave him on another team or send him to another place. Let's say it still ends up being Philadelphia, the Blazers traded for Caldwell Jones, There could be any number of permutations. This what-if is not trying to build out the entire saga of the league if Malone stays in 1976. We're just trying to narrow down what it might mean for the Blazers. So what I want to do in the final segment of this show is discuss what would be the ripple effects of Malone staying. I think it's clear to me that this wouldn't have saved Walton. This wouldn't have saved his career. I think it may have changed his changed the way he viewed the Blazers, maybe made him a little more patient. But if we assume that the his body was going to break down regardless, Moses Malone only opens the championship window. He probably doesn't save Walton. But what are the ripple effects if Malone is on this team following the 1977 championship? That's what we'll talk about in the third segment. Still a pass for his point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Lockdown Blazers. We're still discussing what if Moses Malone stayed with the Blazers after they drafted him in the ABA Dispersal Draft in 1976. Malone was the best player in the NBA in the late 70s and 80s. And he was probably the best player in the NBA in the late 70s and 80s because Bill Walton wasn't around. He was hurt. Walton. This was Walton's time to take over the league. But his body betrayed him, and it didn't allow him to do that. He kind of resurfaced in the 80s as a, as a six-man for a very good Celtics team. But the, the lost years of Walton's prime are a, a what-if in their own world. I don't care to revisit the injury what-ifs, because just saying that if this dude's bones and muscles work differently isn't as interesting to think about personnel decisions. And what Moses Malone is, is a personnel and financial decision. So... The ripple effects of having Malone on this team are perhaps Walton doesn't have beef with the Blazers. Maybe he still leaves, maybe he can't play, and maybe uh, Malone taking over his spotlight messes with his own ego and his own view. Uh, He probably doesn't sue the Blazers and disappear from the franchise for 20 years, but he might end up somewhere else. Or Malone ends up somewhere else. So I don't think, I think the Blazers have a championship window of, instead of basically one season, of maybe four or five. I think they have a really good chance of winning in 78 and 79 when the Bullets and Sonics met in the finals in back-to-back seasons. I think the Blazers, as constructed with Moses Malone, were better. But there are some small ripple effects. When Moses Malone was traded in the 76 preseason, prior to the season starting, the Blazers signed guard Herm Gilliam, who would be a pretty useful role player on the team that won the championship. If Malone stays, Gilliam never comes over. In addition, rookie center Robin Jones, who played some spot backup minutes, I can't imagine that he plays or is part of the team. He was out of the league fairly quickly after this. Robin Jones, see you later, homie. We got Moses. But I think the biggest ripple effect from this is that Michael Thompson is not a trailblazer. How does that work? Well, when the Blazers traded Moses Malone to the Buffalo Braves, they got a first-round draft pick. You'll recall they got one, and later the Buffalo Braves got two from the Houston Rockets. Little cash considerations. Maybe lightening the load for the Blazers' trade package. But the Blazers ended up with the third overall pick 
in the 1978 NBA draft. That pick eventually became Ricky Roby, but the Blazers never got Ricky Roby. They traded him and T.R. Dunn to the Indiana Pacers in exchange for the number one overall pick in the 1978 NBA draft, who they used to draft Michael Thompson, father of Clay Thompson, a very solid contributor, long-term contributor for the Blazers. He Played seven seasons in Portland, averaged 16 points, almost 17 points, nine rebounds a game. He was, you know, just really good. He he was never a, a true star like Malone was, but he was very good. But if Malone stays, they're not trading up to get a center in the draft. But here is a, maybe too big of an extrapolation. If the Blazers don't... If the Blazers go into the 1978 draft, they're... Two-time champions, perhaps, at this point. They've got this insanely talented front line with a young Moses Malone, Maurice Lucas. They have the potential to have uh, Bill Walton entering the final year of his contract. Maybe this is the time that they make the move. They trade up a spot in the draft to take a forward from Indiana State named Larry Bird. Now, I don't want to paint this picture like... Moses Malone leads to the Blazers having Larry Bird. I think that's a little bit too simple. They uh, they would have had to trade up. They they were the pick behind. Their natural pick fell one spot behind where Bird went to the Celtics. So they would have had to make the move anyways. But you can assume that maybe they can package some some sort of something in order to move up one spot if they really wanted to. It's possible. What I'm saying is this. The biggest ripple effect from... Moses Malone staying in 1976 is not that Walton would have been magically cured or that his relationship with the with the team would have been magically fixed or that the Blazers were guaranteed to win several championships. I think they're very likely to be a multi-time champion with Moses Malone. Let me just say that. I think that they have a chance to to be the best team in the NBA for three consecutive seasons, 77, 78, and 79 with Moses Malone on board. But the biggest ripple effect is that I'm supposing that there's a there is a time at some point here in the 80s when Moses Malone has this is going to get a massive contract and the Blazers have to move on from him kind of the same way he did with with the Rockets. I think that's reasonable. The dude was really good um and was a finals MVP in 1983 uh with the with the Philadelphia 76ers after signing that big deal and and, and was good through the 80s, right? Like was an all-star every year of the 80s. But I think that If they have him in the early 80s, the roster building changes significantly. And what you go into the Clyde Drexler era of the 80s with is a team that is either has Moses Malone or is moving on from having Moses Malone, having traded him for a Caldwell Jones or another star big man type. Instead of building forward with Michael Thompson, you build forward with an all-star caliber player, an MVP caliber player bringing in a young Clyde Drexler. It ushers in the 80s on a much different foot. The Blazers weren't bad in the early 80s. In fact, they they were successful like low-level playoff team throughout the decade until they got very good at the end of the 80s. But I think the biggest ripple effect is the way you build that roster doesn't start with a young star center. It starts with proven commodities. And perhaps you can trade for a proven commodity. Perhaps you get Larry Bird. Perhaps there's all there's all these things. But the biggest ripple effect is how the Blazers approach the 80s dramatically changes if you had Moses Malone. 
That's your what if. That's how things change from 1976. A guy that they drafted to trade, got rid of right away. If they hang on to him, a lot of things change. I don't think this is a seismic shift. I mean, multiple championships is a seismic shift, but I don't think this is a seismic shift in terms of Walton. And I think that's the big thing people think about. That's not how I view this. Uh, I think managing the minutes would have been problemed. I think managing egos would have been a problem. And I don't think Walton's health is magically changed by playing nine fewer minutes a night. Uh, I just, I'm not a believer in, that's, in that being how health works. But I am a believer in that the Blazers would have been very good and would have dramatically changed how they approach the next decade. And I think that's what these what-ifs really do, is they change roster building. We're going to do more of these. If you haven't listened to the Arvidas Sabonis what-if, it's in your feed right before this one. Check it out. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.